Yeah, Pillars 1 with the whole dead baby plot isn't nearly as fun as Pillars 2 with the whole Let's Be Pirates thing. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. internet i'm annie i'm kit and i'm mac and this is i will fight you a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone cold facts since 1986 today's fact tim curry is the fulcrum upon which muppet treasure island turns also this episode is fucking cursed we've tried to record it like three times yeah we need a goddamn sign on our podcast that just says i ain't and dead so muppet treasure island a movie made in 1996 Two years after Muppet Christmas Carol? Muppet Christmas Carol was 1992, so it would be four years. I'm going to be real, guys. I have my notes here. I made them about a month and a half ago. I haven't really looked at them since, but I did watch the movie last week. Well, I can't remember where I put my notes, so I just have the Wikipedia page open. I watched this movie so many fucking times, but I did watch it again last night. This was a movie that was made after Muppet Christmas Carol, and they were like, hey, that did pretty well. Let's, like, adapt some more stuff. And I've got this kicking new idea, you guys. It's called Dutch Angles. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all the background I have on this. You, can't, you have Muppet opinions. I don't know if you have anything more to, before we get into this. Um, Not really, no. I mean, my enduring memory of this is that this is the first movie I saw that had Tim Curry in it. So when I think of Tim Curry, I think Long John Silver. That's your first one, huh? Yeah, that's my first one. Huh. I wouldn't see Rocky Horror Picture Show for like another 10 years. Wow, so this was, this was formative for you. Oh, yeah. So I have this kind of theory in this movie, and it's that they were trying to see exactly what worked about Muppet Christmas Carol and replicate a lot of those beats as much as they could. To varying effect. I don't know that I like this one better than Muppet Christmas Carol. I don't think I do because I think there's parts of this that don't quite hang together as well as Muppet Christmas Carol. It might be the fact that like the main human actor is a terrible little boy. Oh, he's not great. He's got a mullet. He's like Charlie Bucket and I hate Charlie Bucket in the original Willy Wonka but he's like Charlie Bucket but without any charm which is saying something. And also there's a lot of like bits in this movie it's like the throwing comedy at the wall to seeing what sticks a lot of them don't stick this kind of kicked off like a weird period with muppet movies where like they were like okay so throw the muppets into a previously existing story that seems to work let's do it do it do it do it do it do it to the point where it was getting so like okay what what are the muppets in this time that they just kind of started making tv specials and then we ended up with the muppet wizard of oz oof I ain't even seen that one, but it gives me a bad feeling. It's not great. Circling back around to pirates, though. Pirates, though. Everybody likes pirates. What's not to like? The scurvy, typically. It's the scurvy. It's the scurvy and the lack of bathing. Yeah. And the bad teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Fictional pirates, though. Fictional pirates, Fictional though. pirates are amazing. I love fictional pirates. Fictional pirates are very sexy. Well-dressed. Good makeup. Muppets. Muppets. We start out in, it's actually kind of a weird tonal shift, which is odd that I'm saying shift because the movie hasn't started yet, but it's pretty serious, actually. Yeah, it starts with like genuinely one of my favorite like musical pieces for a pirate movie. Yes. This is like superior to Pirates of the Caribbean. It's that fucking good. That's a matter of opinion, but it's my opinion. No, no, I think I think I think you've got something there because this one is written much more as a shanty rather than a fanciful pirate ditty. And then we get a voiceover from Billy Connolly. He's in this movie. He's playing Billy Bones. He's not in this movie for very long, but oh boy, is he in it. <laughs> He's not in this movie for very long, but he is in this movie the most. <laughs> 
as Billy Connolly's it up. You know, I've never actually read Treasure Island. I've I've missed that whole thing. But we're sticking relatively close to what I assume is the actual story here of like, we have Billy Connolly who is talking about how he was a cabin boy. For... He says he was Flint's first mate. No, actually, you know what I'm doing? I'm mixing this up with like the spooky Garfield Halloween story. <laughs> oh my God, Eddie. <laughs> It also had pirates, to my credit. Anyway, Billy Connolly speaks ominously about how Flint had an island for burying treasure on. It's that he brought a bunch of men aboard the island that day. None would be leaving alive. It's very ominous. And then we start up with a Muppet musical number. About how people are going to die. Yeah. And honestly, it's it, it slaps. It slaps. It's good. It's a real good musical number. It's all sung by Muppet chorus members who are actually not part of this pirate crew. Like, just small, like, rodents and stuff. It's a song is called Shiver My Timbers. And I just realized as I was looking this up, Hans Zimmer was the composer for this movie. Yeah, he was. I saw it pop up and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and lo, he was. For those unaware, Hans Zimmer was also the composer for Pirates of the Caribbean. He's going to be trapped in pirates forever. He made a deal. And this song has some really, really fucking raw lines in it, too. It is dark as hell. And those buccaneers drowned their sins in rum. The devil himself would have to call them scum. <laughs> you remember how, like, ominous the first couple of lines of... Of the Ebenezer Scrooge song was. They were like, what if we did that for a whole song? Flint had everybody bury the gold, hide it, and then he pulled out his guns and shot everyone. The last lines of the song are dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men were killed. He says. Holy shit. Muffins aren't supposed to do this. So we cut to uh, Billy Connolly as Billy Bones telling the story in the inn, surrounded by people who have heard the story about a billion times before, and you can tell. Yeah, they definitely quote it at him as he is telling it. This is our first shot with like a shit ton of Muppets in it too. Just sort of remind you like, oh, no, shh, shh, no, it's okay, kids. It's a Muppet movie. See, look, look, there's a piggy man. Yeah, to the point where one of the tankards is like one of those face-shaped tankards and it talks. There's a at least like three different jokes where they talk about food but there's a Muppet that's shaped like that animal right next to them. It's like a real palate cleanser. It's like the Haunted Mansion ride where you have the stretching portraits and then the lightning flashes and well there's a guy hanging from the rafters up there and he says that's the only way out of the room. That's eerie and also people are screaming. Oh, weird. This kid doesn't want to go on this ride now? <laughs> you, you're telling me there's still half a ride to get to, like, the spooky fun ghost party? It's a bit of a hard sell. Billy goes on about how nobody ever found old Flint's treasure map, and anybody could have it now. Maybe Jim Hawkins has it, and that's where we introduce the kid playing Jim. This kid has an incredible mullet, and it took me several viewings to realize that that's not even, like, his full mullet. Part of it is contained. He has like a ponytail in the back that's holding up a little bit of the mullet, but it's all spilling out the sides too. <laughs> he has an unstoppable haircut. It's a very tragic look. <laughs> it's terrible. I wonder what he's up to these days. Uh, he's still working, apparently. Kind of got like decent looking. Hard to reconcile that with Jim Hawkins, though. He looks like an average of every guy on The Bachelor. Like inoffensively attractive, but not remarkably so. Huh. Yeah, that's about the sound you make when you look at him. My huh is because apparently someone with his name also just got brutally murdered. What? It's not him. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> this podcast was going to have to take a turn. Yeah, that we can't be this cursed. Anyway, it's not just Jim Hawkins in this, though. No, Jim Hawkins has a couple of friends. Yeah, when they went through the opening credits to tell you like, oh, 
starring Kermit the Frog as so-and-so and and Miss Piggy as so-and-so. They introduced Gonzo and Rizzo as themselves because they realized in Muppet Christmas Carol, holy shit, we've got something here. We have to mind this as much as we possibly can. So Jim Hawkins works with his best friends Gonzo and Rizzo, and they are Jim Hawkins' saving grace. They're basically just, story-wise, Jim Hawkins again. It's like they've split Jim Hawkins into three people, and one of them's a rat and the other one's a whatever. Jim is the brave Jim, is the adventurer Jim. Gonzo is Jim's, like, recklessness, and Rizzo is Jim's cowardice and hunger. That's the bit. You could actually come up with some kind of, oh, maybe they're imaginary aspects of Jim, like Fight Club, except for, like, a bunch of the gags that happen later. Also, uh, Jim Hawkins is an orphan in this one, and instead of his mom running the inn, it is Jennifer Saunders Hell yeah. playing Mrs. Blueridge, who, on the one hand, is f***ing dope, but on the other hand, I don't like how many fat jokes there are in this movie regarding her. Yeah, they put her in a big old, like, bodysuit. Which they didn't need to. Bustles back then were huge. The joke could have just been about her wardrobe, but instead, she's fat. Yeah, but she also is so f***ing great, though. Yeah, she's so great. I love her. She hates everyone. She takes absolutely no shit. She hears all, and she will beat up pirates if they so much as step foot inside her inn. And she will win. Swathed in flame. Could the movie just have been about her? But yeah, there's a whole bit where she, like, enters and her bustle slash backside is knocking stuff over. At one point she calls the place a pigsty and then a bunch of the pigs in attendance look at her and she's just like, no offense meant, sirs, no offense meant. And then they repeat that joke later as she's kicking everybody else out. Muppets is good. Muppets is good. Even at its worst, Muppets is pretty good. Because this ain't like great Muppets, but Muppets is good. So now we have a f***ing musical number with f***ing Jim Hawkins. Yeah, it's the I Want song. Because Jim's like, I want to run off to sea to wherever the wind may take us. Here's a Star Trek joke. This boy must have been cast purely because he looks like he's the right part, not because he can sing. Yeah. He sings like every, like, prepubescent boy sings. There's gotta be something better. Yeah, it's a lot of that. That was more on key than he usually hits. Yeah. And that wasn't on key. It's a bad scene. Uh, But sometimes Gonzo and Rizzo sing and they start harmonizing and it instantly improves the entire song. (laughs) They spin gold out of straw with this musical number. As they're singing about how they want to go to sea and live the life of Jim's father, who was a first mate, etc, etc, etc. Jim has a compass. In comes Billy Conley being like, nope, we gotta end this early. <laughs> this is bad, so I'm gonna wave my sword around and scream a whole bunch. This song sucks, I need a drink, and it's like, same, Billy. <laughs> He's screaming, I've got the horrors, which, wow, okay, Billy, Billy Bones has PTSD. And then more Dutch angles started because it's time to get into like, whoa, inciting shit. We have to be unnerved, so the camera has to tilt a lot. It's like they tried to mimic what they did with the set design for Muppet Christmas Carol for like the whole town, but they didn't want to spend money on doing that with anything that custom except the boat, so they just kind of tilted the camera a lot. There's a knock on the door, and Billy is terrified because it's Blind Pew. Blind Pew is a Muppet character. He's blind and he's French. That's the joke. Blind Pew didn't age very well, did he? (laughs) 
I'm not sure he aged very well. The gag of his existence, I don't think aged particularly well, because mostly it's just, haha, he's blind, haha, he's French. It's like Mr. Magoo, except no squinting. He's constantly tripping over stuff and like putting his hands in front of him. It's not, it's not good. And they try to pull like a daredevil thing at some point. We're like, oh, he hears the thing happening and now he does like martial arts. Yeah. And it's... Hmm. It's not great. So anyway, he gives Billy Connolly Bones a piece of paper and then he walks out and then uh, we can stop thinking about him for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Meanwhile, Billy is screaming again. (laughs) He spends a lot of this movie screaming. Billy is chewing as much of the scenery as he possibly can. He got the black spot, you guys. He's got to make sure to like pass on his goods. He rushes up to his room and starts throwing stuff in his sea chest and dashing around the room. And then Gonzo and Rizzo are like, oh, we'll help you pack. And there's just like a bit of them just chucking stuff into the sea chest. And then Billy basically dies. He has a cartoon heart attack and collapses on the bed. And then Rizzo says my favorite line in the whole f***ing movie, which is, he died? This is supposed to be a kid's movie. (laughs) But don't worry, he's not dead yet because he grabs Gonzo's nose, honks it, and he's like, oh, Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. Which Gonzo at that point says my favorite line, but I'm not Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. He's Jimmy Jim Jimmy Jim 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 Jim. <laughs> so Billy grabs Jimmy Jim Jimmy Jim 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 Jim, who has always been a good old sort to old Billy Bones, and says, Beware of the one legged man, have my treasure map. Also, don't run with scissors. And then he dies. There's a long pause, and then Rizzo points out something very important, which is that they're standing in a room with a dead guy. And then they all start screaming and leave the room. Which is right when the pirates start invading the inn. We were talking about throwing comedy at the wall and seeing what sticks. There's a bit where Billy tells the guys to go and get the treasure map out of the chest, and they go digging around in it, and Rizzo comes up with, like, the Groucho Marx glasses, and then Gonzo comes up with a copy of Henry Kissinger's Diplomacy? Yeah. Who's that joke for? <laughs> is it a joke because the entirety of the joke is he's holding a copy of henry kissinger's diplomacy is that funny who is that funny to i mean me apparently it's hilarious to me when hearing kit say it like that yeah even as a child i was deeply confused by this that i didn't even know who henry kissinger was so this was my first exposure to henry kissinger who is a war criminal by the way i'm just i'm imagining like tiny kit turning to one of your parents and being like this is deeply confusing it's a there and miss it joke but like it's stuck in my brain for 20 years now mom who is this for anyway billy bones is dead gonzo and rizzo and jim's run screaming out of the room and then the pirates show up then there's like this big scene where like the pirates are invading and looking for billy bones and are trying to chase down gonzo rizzo and jim so we have a gunpowder gag it's a very very long gunpowder gag with the trail of gunpowder and oh no the fuse gets lit and oh no run away from the fuse it's a wily coyote so it's a whole bunch of muppets getting chased from like The camera is set at the point of view of the fuse. They repeat some of these shots a couple of times. They just speed it up sometimes. And also the fuse is a sparkler. So it's like someone on the 4th of July is chasing around a Muppet. It is inordinately long. Especially because like there's a cool fight scene happening outside that room. Oh yeah. Mrs. Blueridge has decided she's done with this shit. She's going to kill some puppets. Jim runs into her room and tells her that the place is being invaded by pirates. And Mrs. Blueridge is like, oh no, it's fucking not. (laughs) 
It's like, go out the back stairs. I'm done with this shit. And she proceeds to beat the shit out of a bunch of Muppets. It's amazing. So eventually the entire inn is on fire and Jim and Rizzo and Gonzo make their escape. And they're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Everything's on fire. And Jim's like, let's go see this treasure map. And then one of them is like, oh wait, what about the alive woman who's been feeding us and giving us room and board? And then she breaks out the window, carting three of... Probably corpses. She doesn't just break through the window. She Kool-Aid mans through the, like, brick below (laughs) the window. She's like, everything's fine. Go on. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. Everything is on fire. This is my element. (laughs) And then they're like, oh, okay. And they leave. There's also a whole gag that we get, like, five fucking times in this opening bit where she overhears something and yells a response to it when when she should have been out of earshot. They're like, how does she do that? And good news, this is the part where that stops happening because it's not a good bit. You know what's a good bit, though? Trelawney's rich half-wit son. Oh, my God. (laughs) So we immediately cut to what I'm almost certain is a reused set piece from Muppet Christmas Carol. This street is just repainted Muppet Christmas Carol. Slightly less dirty because it's not the middle of winter anymore. And also not the Victorian era where the air is just choked with coal dust. So we're here to see Trelawney, who is a shipwright. I don't remember how they got this name, but they do. They probably just looked up like the 1700s yellow pages. (laughs) Hey, you know a good shipwright? Sure. They're just gonna show up at this guy's f***ing door. And like, they are still covered in like ashes from the fire. They're like, hey, we got a treasure map. Give us a ship. That's their whole plan. The butler answers the door and explains that uh, Squire Trelawney is out of town for the grouse season. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. He will return on the feast of St. Lulu. Yeah, I don't care if that's a real feast. <laughs> it's good. And then as they're disappointed and turning away, the butler's like, oh, but his rich half-wit son is here. He actually says the phrase rich half-wit son. That's not <laughs> me being snarky. He says that. I love the rich half-wit son joke. It doesn't stop being good for me. Every time he's referred to by the exact words rich half-wit son, I riot. So we meet Trelawney Jr., Trelawney's rich half-wit son. Played by Fozzie. It's Fozzie Bear, you guys. It's Fozzie Bear, and also he's doing a bit where this guy named Mr. Bimbo lives in his finger. This is not from Treasure Island. This isn't even a Fozzie Bear bit. I don't know where this came from. I don't know. He just has a little man who lives in his finger who's been to the moon twice. Fozzie Bear just decided that it was a good idea at the time. Somebody got married to this f***ing joke and now it's here forever. Well, luckily we are immediately distracted from Mr. Bimble by the appearance of Bunsen and Beaker. Specifically, Bunsen is playing Dr. Livesey and Beaker is playing Beaker. (laughs) Yeah. He's Beaker. He's just Beaker. He's just here now. You know who he is. He's Beaker. He's here to get thrown out of cannons and have violence visited upon him and be very frightened. And make shrieking noises. He's very good at that. We love him for that. That's exactly what we want from a Beaker. Like, Beaker enters the scene flying out of a cannon, and Bunsen is like, now we know that's definitely too much gunpowder. We also have this gag where they're like, further pointing out the rich half-wit son, they're like, we need a boat to go out on the ocean. And Fozzie's like, ocean? The, the big the big blue thing. Oh, the <laughs> big blue wet- thing oh god (laughs) look it's a stupid joke but i still like that one it's a very stupid joke but it is quite good they're like yes we will sail using one of my daddy's boats and i will finance the voyage personally because what else are rich half-wit sons for he says it himself he calls himself a rich half-wit son (laughs) i 
love Fozzie. I'm going to roll a D&D character who refers to themselves exclusively as a rich halfwit son. So we are going to see one of his daddy's boats, which is the Hispaniola. Finally, it's an actual Muppet set. This is where they put all of the money for the set pieces because it's a big cartoon boat that's real. It's a very good set. It even has a couple of mastheads. If you were wondering how are they going to get Statler and Waldorf into this movie, wonder no longer. They're the figureheads. They're attached to the boat and they hate it. Take a cruise, you said. (laughs) See the world, you said. (laughs) Also, this ship set is amazing. It has so much character and that's why I love like the idea of building sets for stuff. You know how much the London set piece from Muppet Christmas Carol just like oozed character, like the whole set piece felt like a Muppet thing. Slightly unrealistic, just cartoony enough, but still something where you can feel like it, it. it's not something that takes you out of the action. They put all of that and they condensed it into a boat. It is the perfect platonic ideal of a pirate ship and here it is. Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. It's got a couple of masts, there's rigging, there's like a little bit of space to walk around, there's a below decks. You're probably sure there's beds somewhere, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. They sleep on the deck. It's fine. It's fine. It's got all the set piece places that you need. The kitchen is enormous. Speaking of the kitchen. Oh boy. Gonzo, Rizzo, and Jim are noshing, so they're gonna go get a snack. And they meet Tim Curry. Guys, can the rest of the movie just be Tim Curry singing sea shanties? Yes. Just for me? Tim Curry's down there and he's Long John Silver and he's the most... He's the most Long John Silver. He's my perfect Long John Silver. Anytime I see Long John played by, like, literally anyone else, I'm like, that's wrong. It's Tim Curry. How is it Tim Curry never played Captain Hook in a Peter Pan adaptation? Huh. Huh. I don't know. I don't get how that never happened. Tim Curry is such a good, like, villain character for a children's piece because he can perfectly ride that line between being, like, incredibly threatening and scary and also, like, maybe your fun uncle. The thing about Tim Curry is Long John Silver. You know he's evil, like, right away. But he's just so great that you're like, all right, let's see where this goes. Maybe he's not going to murder me. He's just blatantly menacing, but it's fine because he's Tim Curry and amazing. He sings, what do you do with a drunken sailor? And then as soon as he lays eyes on this child and his two best friends, he points a knife at them. He pretends to think they're stowaways and they eat stowaways on this boat. They buy it. They buy it wholeheartedly. And he's like, oh, they're morons. This is gonna be great. And then he's like, no, I'm not evil. I'm a cook. Have some chicken. Cooks have no power here. Here's my lobster. Here's my evil looking pet lobster, Polly. Who talks? And they're like, shouldn't it be a talking parrot? And Tim Perry's just like, what? Talking parrot? That's, that's dumb. That's dumb what you said. And then because the Muppets at this point were not owned by Disney, but they had recently done a deal with them for distribution, it starts off a whole big thing where they make obtuse Mickey Mouse jokes. Talking parrots? What's next? A singing, dancing mouse with his own amusement park? Womp womp. If y'all ever have the privilege to go down to Disney World in Florida, they still have the Muppet Vision movie there. And um, there's a lot of like, we are working with Mickey Mouse, but are not yet owned by him jokes in there that... uh, They're still pretty good, actually. Tim Curry offers to give the kids a tour of the ship and he like opens the galley door where he's been sitting and oh no, he doesn't have a leg. One leg, Jim. Count them. One. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Beware the one-legged man. And Jim quite reasonably points out that there are a lot of one-legged dudes out there. It's the age of sale. This shit just happens. Tim Curry even points that out. He's like, oh yeah, a lot of dudes lost like legs or worse. And then he makes a joke about how a cannibal took off like two of his fingers and then holds up his hand where he's very clearly just got two fingers tucked down. <laughs> And then he just giggles like he's just delighted himself. Yes. Tim Curry spends a lot of time just like delighting himself and no one else. Life goals, honestly. (laughs) The movie was already fine, but any scene where Tim Curry is in it, suddenly there's like so much more life to this whole picture. And he's doing that Michael Caine thing where he does treat the Muppet performers just as other actors. Absolutely, he does. And also, one of my favorite Muppets is here. It's Sam Eagle. Yay! (laughs) Sam Eagle's playing Mr. Arrow, uh, the first of this crew and he starts basically warning everybody that the captain's in route and that the captain is terrifying like at some point he says this man is a raging volcano tormented by inner demons the likes of which mere mortals cannot fathom And then Gonzo's like, he's got demons? Cool. And it is important to remember this because we do this this series of intercuts with like this big dramatic scene, these close-ups of a charging carriage. The horses are like wild with exhaustion as they have been driven to the very brink to get this man, this myth, this legend to this boat. Meanwhile, Sam is like sitting there and he's just talking him up, talking about punishments that have happened and all these things that are going on. And and it cuts back to the horses as they charge up to the dock. They pull up. The door opens. A horrible stern man steps out, glares, surveys them, seems to find them wanting and then steps aside because he's the footman. And the camera pans down (laughs) and it's Kermit the Frog (laughs) who says, I hope everyone. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they used this bit a lot in the marketing for this movie, and there's a good reason. Because it's Kermit the Frog. It's so f***ing good. It's Kermit. It's Kermit, you guys. Everyone loves Kermit. Just comes aboard the ship and they're like, that's the raging volcano? He's a frog. He's a little frog, man. And he's kind and gentle and very anxious sometimes. (laughs) And then Rizzo's like, oh, maybe he gets hopping mad. To the movie's credit, no one laughs at this. (laughs) Like, the movie knows this is a bad joke. He steps aboard, he rests his hand on the railing, lifts his hand up because it's a little bit dusty. He's like, hmm, and just walks forward. Meanwhile, Sam, like, stalks up behind him, touches his hand on the dust, and he rubs it together, and he's like, I knew it. He's furious. And so Sam tries to figure out who was in charge of dusting so he can punish them. And Kermit's like, I, I, I didn't say that, though. He starts dealing out lashes or something. He's like, I, I didn't say that. I, I was anticipating your whims, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I love Sam Eagle. He didn't get much to do in Muppet Christmas Carol, but he's making up for it here. He's a patriot. Playing a British person again. It's also probably worth noting that Sam Eagle is playing a British person, but his uniform is basically the Star Spangled Banner, but in a suit. <laughs> He's definitely wearing one of those, like, novelty Star Spangled shirts. He is an American. God damn it. You know, the chorus of rats worked out really well in uh, in Muppet Christmas Carol, so they decided to bring those guys back. We gotta have a rat peanut gallery, and therefore Rizzo is selling cruise tickets. Don't worry too much about things being period appropriate. The rats being on a cruise is a gag that will come back many times. Honestly, I feel like it works. It does kind of work. It works most of the time. There are some parts where it doesn't quite work, but I like tourist jokes. Also, 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 it's very important. 
Sweetums is also here. Sweetums is here! And I know I've been saying this a lot about most of the characters on screen at this point, but I love Sweetums. Sweetums is in this movie. He gets some lines. He's very good. He's a good big monster man. So now that we've got the rat cruise thing out of the way, it's time for the voyage to begin, which means it's time for Sailing for Adventure, which when you look at the uh, soundtrack on Google, every other track has Hans Zimmer below it, except for two, Professional Pirate and Sailing for Adventure, which have Tim Curry under it, because we all know what you're here for. <laughs> As the song's winding up, Sam is doling out orders and he says, any man caught dawdling will be shot on sight. To which Small is like, I, I didn't, I, Mr. Arrow, I didn't say that. I was just paraphrasing. <laughs> I like bloodthirsty Sam Eagle. So this song is... It's fine. It's fine. It's a bouncy little ditty. The really good part of it is there's a bit where Jim Hawkins gets a solo and then Tim Curry standing right next to him is like, oh, you poor child. And then does a much better solo. Oh my God. This is like the whole reason that I wanted to talk about this movie. This bridge. Jim Hawkins sounds terrible. He's like, And like the palpable look, I don't know how he did this because he's an actor, he's a professional, but the utter disgust on Tim Curry's face as he watches this breathy 12-year-old who can't even hold a f***ing note. It is the platonic ideal of disgust. (laughs) He finds this whole situation repugnant and he's like, step aside, you f***ing idiot. I'm Tim Curry because Tim Curry can actually hold a note. Yeah, he's a belter. Shit he is. Because it's like... It's very good. Oof, man. Tim Curry can sing? It was kind of cruel to put those two next to each other in a song. After the song is over, we're finally on the open sea, or or the big blue wet thing, as your choice may be. We get a lengthy roll call gag. Ugh. You know what? There are some good bits in it. I'm not afraid to say that. Yeah, there are good bits in it. Old Tom. Real old Tom. Dead Tom. I'm still not sure where I sit on big, fat, ugly face, baby eating O'Brien. I feel like it pushes it over into the realm of very good because baby eating is part of the name. Once you introduce baby eating to it, it's just over the top enough that you're like, okay. Yeah. And like over the course of this roll call, because it's a whole bunch of like skeevy looking pirates, obviously, like Kermit is just getting more and more anxious. (laughs) To the point where he asks all the officers to meet him in his quarters. Oh my god. And he's very much, I, I feel this very hard because like, hmm, hmm, mm-hmm, okay, uh, officers meeting, officers meeting in my room right now, please, okay, okay. And he gets into this officers meeting and he's like, these are all obviously pirates, who hired them? Everyone points at Fozzie, the rich half-wit son, and then Fozzie points at his finger. And he's like, a bear's finger hired the crew? No, the man who lives in the bear's finger hired the crew, with a great deal of assistance and input from Long John Silver. And that's the only time the Mr. Vimble bit works. I feel Kermit's anxiety attack on a spiritual level. That moment is just like, if you had to distill Jiliana down to anything, it's that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, honestly. They've already left. They're already on schedule. So Kermit's basically like, okay, fine, let's do this. Great, good. Can I can I have the map, please, child? Child, can I have the treasure map on this ship full of pirates? And Jim's like, no, I'll take care of it, and shoves it in his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Great, good job, Jim. 
And that's the point when Tim Curry comes in and wants to get the whole crew smashed. To toast to our successful voyage, hopefully. Uh, here's my best brandy. And then there's like this really prolonged bit that's actually kind of good, where Fozzie keeps refilling his glass every time Long John's like, it's a good thing to drink on board. And then he throws it out the window every time the captain's like, no, I don't want people getting smashed on this boat. One of the rat tourists pokes their head in like, will you stop that? You're peeling the paint off the shuffleboard cord. That evening, we have to double up on this, the human characters hang out together bit, because there's like a theme that's going to try to sort of keep getting started in this movie that we got a little bit of way back at the beginning, where Jim was like, I'm an orphan, I don't have a family in there, and Gonzo and Riz are like, hi, what, we're, we're family? And he's like, but we don't even look like each other. They're going to try to do this found family theme throughout the whole thing, especially because Jim's an orphan, so he doesn't have any daddy issues intrinsically in there. It's not really going to fly, but this is where we start kind of trying to make it work a little. That's that's what the scene is basically for, but don't worry about it. It's not going to go anywhere. Let's listen to Long John Silver have an obviously evil maniacal laugh. To be fair, I think that's just his laugh. Yeah. That's just Tim Curry's laugh. I know. That's what you hire him for. There's like a whole thing with, oh no, this compass was my dad's. It's all I have left of him. And let's navigate by the stars and something, something. This isn't going to come up again. What does come up again is the fact that Tim Curry is very obviously trying to get Jim to say, by the way, we're sailing for buried treasure and I have the map. Because like, he knows. He knows. <laughs> he just wants to know where the map is. He's Long John Silver. Don't f*** with him, kid. This is also where we're supposed to imagine that Long John Silver finds Jim endearing, which is not really a real thing. <laughs> no one finds Jim endearing. He's fairly decent at pretending, though. He may be disgusted by this child singing, but he doesn't do that in the rest of the movie now. Also, that same evening, we do a quick cut to Captain Smollett, who pines over a very good drawing of Miss Piggy. In period dress. And they have like a little voiceover just so you're really sure that it's Miss Piggy being like, oh, Smollett. Cut to a scene where Rizzo and Gonzo are just hanging out because Jim is busy playfully stealing Long John Silver's crutch, which I don't think is a great idea. Don't worry about it. But Gonzo does have a great bit where they're talking about being bored. And then Gonzo's like, well, Angel Marie said that uh, later this afternoon, he'd throw a line out the back and let me drag along the bottom, which is like such a quintessentially Gonzo line. He's just happy to be here. He likes doing weird shit. And I appreciate that about him. Speaking of which, he's about to really enjoy the next scene because while they're just hanging out, a like a panel opens behind them in the brig and uh, they get nabbed. And you know that torture scene that's in Treasure Island? That scene where, like, Jim gets tortured? No, that's because it's not there. So they just have a whole rack then. They just brought a rack with them. Gonzo is definitely on, like, a stretching rack. And he's having the time of his life. They're trying to torture them, get him to tell him where the map is. Unfortunately, Gonzo just stretches because he's just, he's a whatever. And he's having the time of his life and he gets to play in the NBA now. And then in barges Mr. Arrow. Who points out that this looks incredibly unsafe. Not that people are being tortured, just that this doesn't seem safe. We had a good, good time with, like, Gonzo getting stretched and everything, but Clueless Morgan was legit going to burn out Rizzo's eyes with a red-hot poker. I will point that out. Uh, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, so we've got Polly the Lobster, Clueless Morgan, and who's the other one? It's the green guy with a hat. I don't know Muppet names. I expect you to know these things. Is that what I'm here for? Kind of. <laughs> Is that all our friendship means to you? I mean, it's a facet. <laughs> I value people that know things that I don't, and you know Muppets. Uh, I think it's Mad Monty. Sure. Those three get locked up. Meanwhile, Gonzo has big noodle arms. He's like reaching over and tickling Kermit. By going like, poo-dee-dee, poo-dee-dee, poo-dee-dee-poo. 
Which is not something you're supposed to do to the captain of a ship. No, but it's fine. Bunsen is here and he's got a cure. Called the window shade cure. So basically they just kind of like stretch him back together and he's fine now. He also lands on on Beaker because that's what Beaker's for. He makes a satisfying squeak when he gets landed on. So we've done some bits. We've had some lines. We've had some plot. I guess it's time we have another music number it feels like we should probably have one i don't know why this number is here no one does cabin fever serves absolutely no purpose uh contributes to nothing of the plot and moves nothing forward it doesn't even reveal anything about new characters everyone gets like momentarily delusional and really into calypso you could take this out of the movie and it would change nothing it feels like this whole number was something where like they finished it and they should have been like was this anything (laughs) And they shake their heads. Because it isn't. It isn't anything. They finish the song with like, cabin fever. Ah! And then the wind picks up and then everything's fine again. And the only repercussion this song has on this entire bit is that in the next scene, one of the pirates that is locked up is like, did you guys hear that musical number? Clueless Morgan, Polly, and uh, Mad Monty are all on the brig because, you know, they did torture people. That's that's not a thing you're allowed to do. So they locked him up in the brig and then Long John comes along to berate them for being stupid and jumping the gun. And then Jim pops in to give them their bread and water for the day. And then Long John goes in this really hyperbolic like, it's more than you deserve, you pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good guy. Long John goes on extensively about, oh God, the thought of what they almost did to your little friends. And then Jim, because he's stupid, blurts out, oh, if only I'd given the map to, and then cuts himself off. God damn it, Jim. Jim. You had one job. Jimothy Hawkins. <laughs> You had one job. So now Long John Silver knows where the map is. Yeah, it's locked up in the captain's cabin with Mr. Arrow's keys. Now that we know where the treasure map is, it's time to up the ante. You may remember all the murder in the beginning of the movie. Who's ready for more murders? Yeah! Sort of. So it's a foggy night. It turns out one of the pirates just makes foghorn noises. It's Angel Marie who does it. It's very good. So did you know that name off the top of your head? Yes. Okay. He, he was in the roll call. Just proving a point. So Long John Silver is out on deck, as is Mr. Arrow. Mr. Arrow, who is very concerned about things being safe is very easily taken in by the idea of a leaky lifeboat. The acting in the scene is actually very good because you have Tim Curry very obviously being this really sleazy, solicitous dude, but also acting very well off of a puppet. And this is Sam Eagle of all people who is, I don't think he knows what lying is. Sam gets in a lifeboat and just sort of, you know, rows away, checks it for leaks, does a very thorough examination, disappears in the fog but not before giving his keys to long john silver and his hat i think yes he's dead now it's fine we just we just found his hat i don't know what happened yeah his death scene gets much more dramatic in treasure planet but (laughs) yeah a little bit during the funeral as kermit is talking extensively about what an honorable man the sam eagle was (laughs) kermit the frog is talking at sam eagle's funeral that's a thing Um, Long John, during the funeral, sneaks the keys to the guys in the brig, and they break out, and then they go and sneak into the captain's cabin and get the map. And then they just sneak back into the brig or something? They're just seen on board ship later, and it doesn't seem to matter that they're not in the brig anymore? It's fine. It's fine. Kermit the Frog had to deliver a eulogy for Sam Eagle. It's fine. And then we have the fucking apple barrel scene, because every single Treasure Island (laughs) adaptation has to have the apple barrel scene. At least this one has Gonzo and Rizzo in it. There is that. We have that. Because Gonzo's like, 
It just feels so weird. Mr. Arrow is gone? Well, yeah. And my pants are full of starfish. <laughs> and Riz is just like, you and your hobbies. I love Gonzo so much. Meanwhile, Jim Hawkins shows up to remind us that he's in this film and is ostensibly the main character. And they're like, get in the apple barrel. We have to do a scene. So they end up in the apple barrel and thus are fortuitously able to overhear Long John Silver with a bunch of other very clearly ex-pirates talking about how they're planning a mutiny. And it's like, oh my God, Long John Silver couldn't be trusted? Gasp. <laughs> it's Tim fucking Curry, Jim. He has been very obviously trying to get the location of the map out of you for a while, Jim. You idiot child. But before we can really do anything about this, land ho, it's Treasure Island, the eponymous island. So here's another reason why Kermit the Frog is the best. Because Jim is like, hey, by the way, the pirates are planning on mutinying. And he's like, hmm, hmm, great, cool. Uh, officers meeting, <laughs> like right now. Very calm about it. Very polite. Okay, let's just let's just see about marooning all of them on the island for a year. Where will we sail? I don't know. We don't really have the supplies for that. Who cares? Jim, go get the other officers. Please don't get kidnapped by Long John Silver. Oops. Oopsie do. <laughs> Immediately. Immediately Jim is kidnapped by pirates. He practically dives into the boat. In the most agonizingly slow kidnapping I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, because the boat is still just like gently drifting down the side of the ship as he has just yoinked this child. Meanwhile, we go to the officer's beating and they talk about marooning these guys on the island for like a year, you know, until they calm down, basically. And then Rizzo points out, that's going to be kind of a problem because the pirates have Jim. Oh my God, not the main character. <laughs> no way we can leave him behind. Like, well, shit, I guess we've got a stage of rescue attempt then meanwhile how about a pirate party so also we neglected to mention that dr teeth and the electric mayhem have been on board this whole time they just keep showing up during various scenes they actually have a conversation in the scene amongst themselves it's like so who are we actually working for again I we were with like the captain and now we're with pirates and what's our relative morality in the story again I was just like, man, just play the gig. Never get involved in politics. <laughs> like, they're not even, like, on shore. They're off on some rocks, like, over, like, on the side. So they don't have to be in a whole lot of the shots of this next musical number. This next musical number, by the way, is Professional Pirate, which is rad. It's so good. Tim Curry sings throughout the whole thing. It's so good. Upstage, lads, this is my only number. The entire song is just basically them trying to convince Jim to be a pirate. And their argument is very convincing. You know, brotherhood, good, honest, true. I could have put a lawyer, but I had too much heart. Gotta have a lawyer joke. It's a 90s movie. Tim Curry is very excited about this song. He gets picked up and marched around because he only has one leg, so you can't do a whole lot of choreography, apparently. At some point, he describes the pirates as a festival of conviviality. And it's like, Tim Curry, you're not allowed to bring words that big into this children's movie. He's gonna do it. He's Tim Curry. He cannot be stopped, legally speaking. Like, if he can't exude sexual menace throughout the entire movie, <laughs> the very least he can do is say words that are way too big for the target demographic. <laughs> anyway, it's probably the best song in this whole movie, aside from the first one. And unfortunately, it does absolutely nothing to sway Jim. When, really, Jim? Jim. Jim. 
this song, though. Join your pirate dad, Jim. Look at all these fun Muppets. One of these human actors has seen The Godfather. Is this anything? You put a Godfather joke in a Muppet movie. Who's this for? It's not even like a good Godfather joke. No, he just says he could have been a contender in like the cotton balls in the mouth voice. You're not going to do like a like a horse head in the bed, except it's a Muppet horse head, so it's still alive and screaming? That would be horrible. Wait, maybe that's not a joke. Thanks for putting that image in my head. Actually, it probably wouldn't scream and just make a weird joke about how it, how he just loses his head all the time. Oh, God. Just kind of like Velcro back on. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. Is this anything? <laughs> I don't think so. So they have this idea to like have some of the main Muppet characters go on the island and leave the other ones back on board. But the ones they leave back on board to fend off pirates are Buds and Beaker and Fozzie. That's the B team is what that is. <laughs> then again, I'm not sure that Kermit, Gonzo, and Rizzo can be trusted to go on the island and rescue Jim. So really, there's no A team here. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think Gonzo has enough menace and like unpredictable chaotic energy that I think he could have held off the whole boat by himself. Yeah, distinctly possible. But that also would have meant separating him from Rizzo. And in this era, they are attached at the hip. Also, Gonzo's got to do some bits here on the island. Gonzo, Rizzo, and Kermit go on the island they're gonna rescue jim in the morning but tonight they're just gonna settle down and have a have a sleep and um so this movie has indigenous pigs that are very badly portrayed basically the most offensive cannibal islander stereotype you can think of that's this but also they're muppet pigs fun story from the wikipedia page for muppet treasure island it is tucked into the very last section possible before references it is under lawsuit oh god Uh one of these muppet pigs refers to himself as spa am is his name I'm just going to read this one verbatim. The Hormel Foods Corporation, the creators of Spam, sued Jim Henson Productions for using the name Spam for one of the film's tribal pig characters. The judge dismissed the suit on September 22nd, 1995, after a trial for failure to prove damages, noting, quote, One might think Hormel would welcome the association with a genuine source of pork. <laughs> when Spam later appears as a racing boss in the video game Muppet Race Mania, he was credited as Pig Chief. That's fun. But also offensive islander stereotypes. Yeah, there's that. So they have a queen. That the boys are going to be sacrificed to. They've also got an Indian elephant somehow. Don't worry about it. They had an elephant for a day. They made the most of it. They do a big, big scene to sort of summon their queen and build it up. And there's actually like some decent music in the background here and i don't know why it's here but it is let's just let's just skip past the islanders as much as we can the the little palanquin on the elephant like opens up and it's piggy it's miss piggy it's miss piggy it's miss piggy she's here and she has a pet anteater also her name in this is benjamina gun that's right this is this is the ben gun we don't have to worry about it it's fine it's miss piggy miss piggy trips down the stairs in her dramatic entrance and she realizes who she's looking at a rat, a whatever, and the love of her life. And she proceeds to punch him into a gong. The rats, by the way, the tourist rats are here at a dinner show. They are delighted. They're having the time <laughs> of their lives. So yeah, that was their reunion. I'm sure everything's going well. I'm sure Piggy and Kermit aren't having any problems. Meanwhile, the pirates are a superstitious and cowardly lot. They're following the map towards the treasure, and there's a tree with a lot of dead dudes hanging from it because that was Flint's sense of humor, I guess. 
And Clueless Morgan starts talking about curses. By the way, Jim Hawkins is only here under duress because they need his compass. But we do get Clueless Morgan wailing a whole bunch, so that's good. Yeah, that works. So the next bit of the movie is intercut between them looking for the treasure and Kermit and Miss Piggy working out their relationship issues. Which is an interesting take. That's going to come together in a musical number later. Turns out Kermit left Miss Piggy at the altar. Yeah. And then she started dating Captain Flint, who she refers to as Bernie Flint. You know what? Good for her. Good for her. He did maroon her, though. Yeah, but they probably had a real wild relationship before that, though. Get that pirate dick, Miss Piggy. Also, there's a bit where the Swedish chef is there wearing a piggy nose. And like he does this whole little Swedish chef thing. And one of the talking tomatoes is like, how else did you think we were going to get him in this movie? Because they already have a cook on board and it's Long John Silver. Yeah, we couldn't have the Swedish chef be Long John Silver. That would be a mess. So now he's got a little piggy nose. And it's not like they took the Swedish chef face and like attached a piggy nose instead. It's the Swedish chef, but with a piggy nose put onto his regular nose and you can see the string that ties it around the back of his head. He's just here. Don't worry about it. He's here. We also cut back to a bit where the pirates have found the treasure chest from the beginning of the movie, but they're empty and they get mad and they mutiny against Long John Silver. And he's like, no, run, Jim, I've always loved you like a son or something. I do actually like the way he delivers because I like you, lad. I hope you didn't think I was lying about that. That's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good delivery. It's too bad it's to an actor that does not bounce off of him in a decent way at all, but... The Blue Eagle in the Star Spangled Banner outfit played off of Tim Curry better than this child. I'm starting to think that being mean to child actors is part of our brand on this podcast. <laughs> I'm a little concerned. Well, there's good child actors. This just wasn't one of them. Meanwhile, Jim comes away from the pirates. He finds Rizzo and Gonzo, who are still tied up, by the way cuts them loose. Meanwhile, because those characters have been untied, we tie up another character, which is Tim Curry. To a tree that he could probably just stand up and walk away while he's attached to. He kind of isn't too worried about this whole situation anyway, because this mutiny lasts about five seconds. They give him the black spot because someone actually had a Bible with them. Tear out a page. It's very clearly got scripture on it. They make the black spot and they hand it to him, which seems a little dumb because they're just going to kill him right now. But the symbol is... I don't know. <laughs> the point is, is that Tim Curry goes Baptist preacher for the next five minutes or so. And it works. Oh, God, does it work. To the point where they are begging him to be their captain again. Yeah, that, that didn't last long. And while Piggy and Kermit are working out their relationship issues, which is still that Kermit got... Cold feet, he's a frog. While they are working this out, the pirates arrive. Silver's back in charge. Benjamina also dated Silver. Piggy <laughs> got around. God, and the best part is that she's like, oh, Long John, which, oh boy, there's something there. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. Listen, it's not my fault the movie did that. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't have, I didn't, no. How dare you? That's not my fault. The movie did that. <laughs> you know what? I think this is the part where I get up and yarf. Okay, goodbye. And then Kermit, of course, is like, oh, Piggy, him too? And it's like, hi, he's Tim fucking Curry. Also, the, the natives are gone now. They leave. We don't have to worry about them anymore. Tim Curry notices that Miss Piggy is wearing a necklace made of doubloons, which means that she's got the treasure. And they're going to uh, try and get the information out of Kermit and Miss Piggy. Jim Hawkins and, and Rizzo and Gonzo run away and they get to the shore and they see the ship, which has been captured by the pirates, by the way. Because 
what were you expecting? You left Fozzie in charge. But anyway, they're like, oh, what are we, how are we going to get to the ship? We can't swim. We can't swim to a boat full of vicious pirates. That's not going to work. And then who comes out of the fog? And for Mr. Arrow, who did not die, Jim became like another awful child. Yeah, Mr. Arrow's here. This lifeboat is incredibly safe, by the way. Because he can't kill Sam Eagle. But the best part is that as he's rowing in, he says, by the way, I think that Long John Silver fellow might not be entirely trustworthy. So they concoct a whole scheme because the pirates are all certain that Sam Eagle is dead. So they play into that. They basically do a Dread Pirate Roberts with a Stormcloak bit here. And all the pirates jump overboard and they have the ship again. And for some reason, Jim thinks he's in charge now. Also, for some reason, Fozzie is wearing steampunk goggles on his hat. Yeah, where did he get those? We're not gonna get into that. They gotta go rescue the captain. The captain is hanging by his ankles from a tree and there's a candle burning the rope. Because Tim Curry is nothing if not dramatic. And he's like, tell me where the treasure is or your frog boyfriend goes over the edge. And, well, she does. And then immediately smash cuts to her also hanging from the tree by her ankles. And she's just like, I'm starting to see a pattern in the men I date. (laughs) (laughs) Time for a song. Oh, it's the 90s power ballad. Yay. It's not very good. No, it's called Love Let Us Hear. And like, I can't tell if this song is like tongue in cheek visually on purpose because the song itself is very just like straight love song. This is this is absolutely just no subtext. That's what this is. This is a love song. And meanwhile, it's intercut with Love Let Us Hear to be dangled over a cliff about to die. Miss Piggy's love for Kermit led the pirates to the treasure. That's not a good thing. It's intercut with these slow motion shots of the pirates just like drowning in treasure like Scrooge diving into his money bin. Who edited this and how (laughs) mad were they at the director? Anyway, the song ends with Miss Piggy screaming as she falls to her death. Only Kermit manages to catch her. (laughs) Only Kermit is very small and a frog. (laughs) He is not a strong boy and he is a great big pig wife. But it's okay, you guys. The Hispaniola is coming around the bend with their fishing net open to hopefully try and catch Piggy and Kermit. And they miss. But remember how Statler and Waldar are living figureheads? They're heroes! We saved the pig and the frog! It's too late to save the movie. And now we have an obligatory sword fighting sequence. It's really long, actually. The ship crashes into the beach where all the pirates are. There are some good bits here and there are some bad bits. Turns out Muppet sword fighting is actually really hard to choreograph. Piggy beats up just about everybody, though. Uh, We find out that Kermit has a Miss Piggy chest tattoo. Also, Sweetums comes up and they do a fake out where it looks like Sweetums is going to attack them, but he attacks one of the other pirates and they're like, what? I thought you were a bad guy. And he's like, are you kidding? I love you guys. I love you, sweetums. Also, this is a point where everybody dresses up in big poofy shirts. Yeah, everyone just appears in the scene wearing a big poofy shirt, even though they were not wearing one in the shots previous. Never mind the scenes previous. This has to be a thing, right? This is a reference to something. Like an Errol Flynn thing, maybe? It's fine. Don't worry about it. This is Jim's little family. We have not been leading up to this at all. Tim Curry basically turns to the camera and is like, remember how family was a theme at the beginning of the movie? Here's me bringing it back for five seconds. Cheese pizza. So Tim Curry is in the brig and nobody bothered to take Arrow's keys off of him. Anyway, he breaks himself out, goes to grab a bunch of treasure, gets into one of the jolly boats. Meanwhile, Jim Hawkins has a weenie whistle now on account of him being just Captain Weenie. He catches Long John Silver because he has to. There's like a whole bit. Tim Curry to the last does some really good acting here because he looks Like he's really having some internal conflict about whether or not he's going to shoot this kid in the face. He is carrying this scene. And then Jim decides not to blow the whistle and Long John rows away. And that's, 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 
And then they didn't know how to end the movie, so it's time for a dance party on the boat, I guess. Hey, do you guys ever think about Jim Hawkins' extremely awkward dance moves as they're cutting away from the dance party? (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. No, it's bad. It's bad, in fact. Anyway, now we get Love Power by Ziggy Marley. That's how the movie ends. And it's a 90s movie for children. So there's a radio power ballad version of one of the songs. Is it Love Let Us Here? Oh, is it? You know, I do love this movie. I've just spent the last, you know, hour and a bit talking shit about it. But I do love this movie. I'm so, like, of two minds about it because it just, it doesn't click with me the same way that a lot of other Muppet movies do where I can just watch it over and over again. But it's still got so much charm to it that even the parts that kind of sag, you can kind of forgive. Especially Tim Curry. Yeah. Yeah, he pretty much saved this movie, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Him and Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Even the worst Muppet movie is still, like, so much more enjoyable than basically anything else. So hopefully that convinces you that Tim Curry is the fulcrum upon which this entire movie turns, because God is it ever, it sure ain't the kid. So I think that brings us around to time for our final facts. Kit, what's your final fact? Uh, if you're only in a movie for about 10 minutes, you gotta make sure that is the most acting you could pack into those 10 minutes. <laughs> It doesn't have to be good, but there has to be a lot of it. Mac, what's your final fact? For every Charlie Bucket, there's a Gene Wilder Willy Wonka. And for every Jim Hawkins, there's a Tim Curry Long John Silver. Annie, what's your final fact? I would pay money for an entire album of Tim Curry singing sea shanties, and I'm not afraid to admit it. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Join us next time when we will have a guest on. We will have Ali Stock on with us to talk about the absolute and unarguable fact that Neo is a lesbian. We'll be talking about The Matrix. I Will Fight You comes out every three weeks wherever you download podcasts. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at CRC Podcast. We are also on Tumblr at crookedrussiancam.tumblr.com. Why did I say crookedrussiancam.podcast.com? That's not a real website. I mean, it could be. Probably a bad idea. We already own our website, crookedrussiancam.horse. Go on our website. It's got information on all of our shit. If you want to support us with your attention, a like, rating, review, subscribe, comment, wherever you find our podcast is super helpful, helps our metrics, and helps people discover us so they can listen to this garbage. We need attention so bad, you guys. If you want to support us with dollars, that's maybe a little less personal, but also good. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegemjam, or you can help us with Kofi. What? How the hell is the URL structured for that one? Kofi.com, like ko-fi.com slash cam, all one word. Right, that one. You can also buy our terrible merchandise on TeePublic. All of these links are on our website. Once again, that's crookedrussiancam.horse. I love the infomercial element of that. It's like crookedrussiancam.horse. That's right. It's crookedrussiancam.horse. Dot H-O-R-S-E. <laughs> like a horse that goes clip-cloppy nay. It was funny at the time, and honestly, it's still kind of funny. It's still funny. It's funny for us. We don't give a shit about whether or not you find it funny, <laughs> frankly. Please give us attention. We don't give a shit about what you find funny, but we do desperately crave your attention. And your approval. We know it's complicated. Please. It's fine. Please. Please. Until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Uh-oh.